A sentimental journey Gonna set my heart at ease Gonna make a sentimental journey To renew old memories Got my bag, got my reservation Spend each dime I could afford Like a child in wild anticipation I long to hear that all aboard Seven That's the time we leave at seven Good morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wassa. We welcome you all. Our first reading or opening words are from Carrie Egan. Carrie is a hospice chaplain and a graduate of the Harvard Divinity School. And in her book on living, she writes, I am amazed at the strength of the human soul. Even the people who do not know love in their families know that they should have been loved. They somehow know love by its absence. They somehow know what is missing and what they deserved as children and adults. When love is in, imperfect or a family is destructive, something else can be learned. 
forgiveness. The spiritual work of, the, of being human is learning how to love and how to forgive. The work is a gift that we give each other, for there is little in the world people long for more than to be loved and to be forgiven by their mothers and fathers, daughters, and sons. Please join me in words as we light our chalice. We light this chalice with the truth. Good morning. So nice to see so many of your faces after so long. Um, I wanted to do a little tapping meditation just to bring us into our bodies this morning and into our internal experiences before we begin um, talking about end of life. So we're going to start, uh, I invite you to make like a loose claw like this. You're going to take that space that's above the pad of your fingertip, but underneath your nail, and bring it to your heart center. And if if you'd like, I invite you to close your eyes or lower your gaze, just to bring your awareness inward. So we'll stop, uh, tap right on the sternum space here, gently. Become aware of this physical sensation. And begin breathing deeply. Welcome, whatever it is that you're bringing today. It may be painful to be in your body. Maybe you can tell yourself that it's okay, that you are in a safe place to explore your own experience, to explore whatever feelings you may have today with a kind and gentle heart. With each breath in, fill up. Experience the belly growing. And with each exhale, sink a little bit deeper into your internal experience. We'll bring our hands up to the space between our eyebrows. Some might know this as your third eye space. Gently tapping here. We keep our breath flowing. Become aware of the thoughts that may be passing through your mind, any worries that are present. And I invite you to release yourself of the expectation that you need to rid these thoughts, these worries, change anything. Just allow it to be there, be a part of your experience. We move our hands to the upper lip, right underneath your nose. You may feel your breath moving in and out of your nose. 
breathing deeply, beginning to notice shifts in your body, in your breath. Inviting all that is within you. Move back to the sternum, to our heart space. I invite you to say this to yourself. I accept what is within me. And I accept what is beyond me. What is hard, what I did not choose, what I did or didn't do, what I cannot change, and I forgive myself for resisting change. I love myself completely. Release your hands to your thighs or at your side. Breathe in deeply, exhaling completely. You may gently open your eyes if they're closed and take in the space around you. Next reading is Nothing is More Important Than Relationships by an author unknown. I sat next to the bed of an old man, a friend of over 20 years, and held his hand. Hal was dying. We both knew the next few days would be his last. We spent time reminiscing about his long and fruitful career as a church pastor. We talked about old friends, we chatted about his family, and I listened as he offered sage wisdom and advice to a member of a younger generation. At a lull in the conversation, Hal seemed to, be care to carefully consider what he was about to say next. Then he squeezed my hand, gazed intently into my eyes, and whispered, just loud enough for me to hear him, nothing is more important than relationships. I knew that this is somehow near the pinnacle of his life's learnings as he considered all of his experiences, personal, professional, spiritual, and family. This one ultimate observation surfaced above the rest. Nothing is more important than relationships. Don't get overly caught up in your career, he seemed to be saying to me. Likewise, don't use people in order to achieve your goals, then throw them away. No project, no program, no task should be pursued at the expense of friends and family. Remember, I heard him saying as clearly as if he were speaking the words, that in the end, only your relationships will truly matter. Tend them well. 
hello. I'm Kay Grueling, and this is my mother, Epi Grueling, <laughs> and my sister, Mary Robinson. And we'll be speaking about um, the journey of Bob Grueling, my father, from cancer diagnosis and treatment to palliative and hospice care. Originally, we presented this to those gathered for the butterfly luncheon, a fundraiser for hospice comfort care. Our presentation today will have three components. I, as a daughter and physician, will focus more on the medical aspect. My sister and mother will speak more directly about our experience with Hospice House. As an aside, my mom and I are both COVID long haulers, so we are consistently hoarse and don't have much voice at times, and coughs are plentiful, not infectious, so hopefully our voices will be sharp today and our coughs will be hidden. Ah, sweet mystery of life, my dad's favorite song, a man who loved life and loved living it. He wrote books, was a lifelong teacher in every regard, loved interacting with all people, was curious and enjoyed spending time with friends and family. Two years prior to his death, dad was diagnosed with stage four maxillary sinus cancer, an extremely rare cancer and almost universally fatal when it spreads to distant sites like his does. Upon diagnosis, dad was devastated, but determined to live. We secured a team of physicians who creatively found ways to successfully treat his cancer in a more gentle manner for an elderly man in his mid-80s. He did, in fact, do remarkably well initially, both in terms of treatment success of the cancer as well as minimizing side effects from the treatments. But then there were the slow, progressively worsening side effects from some of the treatments, ultimately with the effects of the result in Crohn's disease taking the biggest toll on him, causing a 35-pound weight loss in one and a half months. He also developed type 1 diabetes, the kind that requires insulin to survive, from the same immunologic study drug for the cancer. So yes, he did great with the cancer medication in the study trial in which he was enrolled, a star performer in that his cancer was essentially eliminated. However, the side effects made life increasingly difficult. Nonetheless, he wanted to live. The mind was more willing than the body, however, which is especially true for people of advanced age. Physically and mentally, he continued to slowly decline increasingly more. Like most people, he wanted to stay at home during this entire time. His primary caregiver, my mother, or little mama, as I affectionately call her, is also in her 80s. It was clear, too, that she was struggling more to try to keep up with all the physical demands of caring for him. Both were reluctant to bring in outside help for the day-to-day -day cares and such. I would stop by regularly to help with the medical side of things, including in the middle of the night as needed, and took him to his multiple medical appointments. Other family members, in particular my sister and brother-in-law, helped with a variety of household and domestic tasks as well. But it was clearly too much for all of us. Reluctantly, Dad agreed to enter the Aspirus Palliative Care Program just to get some extra support. But progressively, more help was needed, especially if dad were to remain at home, something which both he and my mom desired. And he wasn't ready to say no to more aggressive treatments to keep him alive. 
About four months after in being in palliative care and continued slow decline, dad was formally admitted into the Aspirus Hospice Program. This meant more care, <clears throat> sorry, this meant more care in the interim, the transition from the Aspirus Palliative Care Program to the Aspirus Hospice Program was seamless. As a physician and daughter, it was a great relief for me that someone would be able to help assess and care for my father, as well as provide respite for my mom. About five weeks after entering the Aspirus Hospice Program, I was in Florida. One evening, my mom urgently called me, stating that dad was completely out of it and really couldn't be aroused. First, I had her check a few things, including a blood sugar, as he had developed severe labile type 1 diabetes as a result of the cancer medicine. His blood sugar was so low, it was life-threatening. I discussed strategies with my mom about how to get some sugared fluids into him, as he was really out of it and hardly able to consume something to help treat the low blood sugar. Despite her creative and best attempts, he was not perking up much, so I had her contact the on-call hospice nurse while she continued to push any of the sugared fluids she could. By the time the nurse arrived, Dad was somewhat more alert, but extremely weak and fragile. It was clear that my mom physically would not be able to care for him during the night. We decided to take him to the Aspirus Hospice House. It was a great relief for me that someone would be able to help care for him and provide respite for my mom. I could still provide medical guidance, but I knew everyone, including my mother, would be safe. From the moment my parents arrived at Hospice House in the middle of the night, they felt at home. My mom slept there most nights for the first six weeks. Dad enjoyed his comfortable recliner, as well as the machine that they used to help transport him to and from the toilet or into the recliner or the bed. Both of my parents were grateful for the home-cooked foods, the music therapy and massages, as well as the various other programming. The spacious, home-like environment made one feel at home. Staff and volunteer reached out often, always with an eye, to help both the patient and family members. <clears throat> this is truly a patient-centric facility where the patient and family can be part of the larger hospice family. In closing, already in high school, I knew the value of hospice. I actually wrote my high school term paper on hospice before one even existed in Wausau or the greater area. As a physician who believed in and utilized palliative care and hospice services for patients for decades, as someone who donated to support Aspire's hospice programming for years, and now as a family member of a loved one, utilizing hospice services, including Hospice House, I believe strongly in all that can be done to help the patient as well as their family in the twilight of one's time here on earth. Aspirus Comfort Care and Hospice provided special care to my father and the rest of our family, and the Aspirus Hospice House was truly a home away from home. Next up will be Mary. Good morning. It was heartbreaking to watch cancer progressively change our dad. On the first evening dad entered hospice house, I remember feeling relief. I was relieved for dad. I was relieved for mom who had been his main caretaker and for Kay after managing endless health care. I remember mom saying as she often does, it will be okay. And it was. 
While at Hospice House, Dad was fortunate to have endless streams of visitors. The staff and volunteers made everyone feel comfortable and welcome. However, there was a problem. He could not often remember who had been there and what they had talked about. We decided we need a guest book. I repurposed an old sketchbook into an art journal. The title was, I Feel So Lucky, something Dad said often since being at Hospice House. The pages included printed images, collage, and photos from Dad's life, followed by pages for visitors to write a note. Everyone was encouraged to sign the guest book, including his new friends at Hospice House, and he was always making a new friend. This book would ignite memories and start conversations. The book even included a few photos from Dad's cancer journey. I'd like to share a few with you now, if I may. In this photo, Dad is smiling because he had just completed his last brain radiation treatment. I was waiting for him when he came out carrying this custom mask. It was worn and bolted down during each treatment. If I'm being honest, it was horrifying. Dad said, I'm not sure what to do with this. I replied, well, if you don't need it again, I think it could become art, and it did. I cut the mask in half. I cut the mask in half on a profile, and using recycled mixed media, it became superhero. Dad certainly was our superhero. Not long after that, our grandson was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Now Pax and his papa were both undergoing harsh cancer treatments. I'm sure many of you here know firsthand the pain and helplessness you feel watching somebody you love battle cancer. As an art educator, I know that expressing those feelings through the process of creating art can be very therapeutic. I still had the other half of Dad's radiation mask. It became Wellness Wars and is dedicated to Pax and Dad and their cancer battles. In the bottom left-hand corner of the artwork is the word Frank. It was the name Pax gave his cancer. He is now 18 years old and doing great. This week he began college at the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design and we have another artist in the family. One of my favorite memories at Hospice House is Dad's last birthday. It was May 5th, which is Cinco de Mayo. We have always referred to it as Cinco de Babo. Our family tradition was to celebrate his special day at the Mexican restaurant. With the help of the very supportive staff, we brought the Mexican restaurant to Hospice House. We had music, carnitas, and yes, even margaritas. It was a fabulous Cinco de Babo. You have seen a few photos from Dad's Hospice House guest book. These pages serve their purpose of starting conversations, recording visitors and their well wishes, but 
creating this art journal was very important for me too. Art is not just a passion. It is my repair shop. It heals me. And I think Dad's stay in the caring community of Hospice House had the same healing effect on us all. After a long and difficult journey, Dad seemed at peace. And now the family that loved him could be at peace too. Good morning. Hospice House is an end of life destination. It can be scary or it can be comforting. Bob hoped he would go home again, but soon felt that if he couldn't go home, he wanted to be at Hospice House. The caring and kind staff and volunteers became another family. While sitting on the front porch of Hospice House one beautiful day, Bob said, I would like to be buried here. That was a surprise. <laughs> I explained that I didn't think that was possible and we already had our plots. Although Bob would often become confused, this comment was truly from his heart. Bob has a tile placed at Hospice House. In a way, he got his wish. A part of him will always be there. He truly felt Hospice House was his home away from home. As you can see, the Hospice House played a very important role in my father-in-law's journey. And there are various other forms of hospice. Um, in July of 2008, my father entered the hospice program and had hospice services provided at home. And it was a transition from curative to comfort care and the support of nurses and CNAs and chaplains and bringing beds in to, into the living room to support it providing occasional respite care to my stepmother uh, that helped with that transition. And in July of this year, my mother entered palliative care at Benedictine, uh, suffering from dementia, and she has broken her back and, and uh, won't be leaving. But it allows us to focus or have an independent party come in and be an advocate for them and provide the support services, not only for that individual, but sometimes the family as well. So now we'd like to just open it up and see if others in the, the room today would like to share any thoughts, feelings, experiences with us. My name is Carolyn Bronston, and my husband's name was Byron Bronston. And I'm sure some of you knew him. He was very active in the Chicago, in the Wausau area. Instrumental in the uh, development of the 400 block and many other things. Anyway, he was in hospice for a long time. Um, and I got, after he died, he, when, when the, he was under the care of uh, doctors in Wausau for some time, and then we went over to the Mayo Clinic. And um, after he died, I received this letter from his doctor at the Mayo Clinic. 
and I thought not many people get those, but maybe you would be interested in the doctor viewpoint, um, which I'm going to read you. Um, Dr. Jen, this is a letter to me from his doctor. Do well, okay, Dr. Jenkins recently informed me that your husband, Mr. Byron Bronston, passed away in November 1999. Please accept my condolences, as well as your warmest sympathy from all of us in Rochester who had the privilege of caring for your husband. When I first met your husband back in 1994, I could never have predicted his exact clinical course. Why some people have very slow-growing tumors and others tumors which cause demise very quickly is unknown. Your husband was a true fighter who did everything he could to overcome this terrible illness. I certainly appreciate your efforts to support him during this difficult treatment. We also appreciate his willingness to enroll in experimental trials in order to help obtain knowledge about new cancer treatments. I would only hope that at some time in the future, we will have more meaningful treatments to offer our patients with this terrible disease. Whenever your husband returned to Rochester, I always appreciated the time we had for consultation it certainly was a pleasure to be involved in his care for such a long period of time. I know that Dr. Jenkins and his group did their best in order to keep him comfortable in his final days. I am sure that the hospice personnel were very supportive. As time passes, you, you or your family may have further questions with regard to your husband's care. If I can be of future assistance in any way, please do not hesitate to contact me. Very best wishes to you and your family during this most difficult time and signed by his doctor. We did not know it, but his doctor had similar cancer at the time he was treating my, my husband and he died not soon thereafter. So um, I thought you might just like this from the point of view of a doctor's experience with a cancer patient. Thank you. Does anyone else wish to share? Um, just a couple comments, because I've focused more on other things. But the biggest um, issues for palliative and hospice care is one, sometimes people don't know about it, but two, even if they do, patients and families are often very reluctant to go in, and it can be for multiple reasons. Um, some of it just is our own inner drive to say, you know, I can do this, I don't need help. Some of it's because they're worried about money um, and can I afford this when in fact actually there's often more things that get paid for when you're in these programs. But the biggest problem is the delay. Um, even 10 years ago, the length of time someone was in hospice was often only 10 to 20 days, the average length of time. And the hospice benefit from Medicare is six months. So the whole point that we really want to do is to get people to say, yes, come into palliative care. Palliative care meaning you can still do aggressive treatments for whatever your ailment is, um, but we know that we can do things to support you. Hospice, we stop aggressive treatments, but we need people to, to come in sooner. And 
And I would encourage not just other family members, but friends you know, to say, have you considered palliative care? Have you considered hospice? Because again, there's programming that is so important and so vital. Um, and truthfully, some people way back when, in the 90s, I know I'm not that old, but, <laughs> but in the 90s, when you literally had a six-month hospice benefit, that's all you got forever. So if you went in and you did really well in six months past, you never could go into hospice again. And I had a patient, Ed, and Ed was, I enjoyed Ed very much, but he was a cantankerous man. And his poor wife, you know, she, <laughs> she struggled to do everything he needed. And every time we'd put him in hospice, two months later, he was like doing really, really well. And he was for there because of heart and lung disease, not cancer. And he did well because of all that extra care that came in. So then we'd have to take him out because we only had six months total. And after a couple months, he would decline again. And we'd enroll him. And lo and behold, so we did hospice three times for him until a six-month benefit was used up. And then he did finally pass away. But I think he's a good demonstration of what all those extra services, both of which are paid as well as volunteer services, um, it really does a great job, but I urge you to think farther ahead, go into palliative care, go into hospice. You can always turn around. So anyway, thank you. It takes a village to raise a child. So too does it take a team to care for a person at the end of their life. My grandpa Bob loved life. He loved people and found a friend in anyone. He had a knack for forcing two strangers into conversation and finding a common ground between them. By the end of the evening, they had made a meaningful connection and a new friend. When my grandpa was diagnosed with cancer, he wanted to fight. He wanted to live even if it meant the side effects of his treatment would be severe. He had an amazing team who respected and advocated for his wishes. Uh, my grandpa lost a lot of weight quickly and with that strength, and my grandma cared for him in their home for as long as she could manage. What a relief it was for our family when my grandpa took to life in the hospice house. Despite difficulty speaking, he made quick friends with the staff and delighted in frequent visits from friends and family. Spending his final months in hospice house afforded Grandpa Bob the opportunity to accept and make peace with his mortality comfortably while continuing to be his social self up to the very end. I wanted to share one of my favorite poems uh, that reminds me of him and his love for life and has brought me great comfort. <clears throat> it's titled The Facts of Life by Padre Gotuma. That you were born and you will die. That you will sometimes love enough and sometimes not. That you will lie if only to yourself. That you will get tired. That you will learn most from the situations you did not choose that there will be some things that move you more than you can say, that you will live, that you must be loved, that you will avoid questions most urgently in need of your attention, that you began as the fusion of a sperm and an egg of two people who once were strangers and may well still be, that life isn't fair, that life is sometimes good and sometimes better than good, that life is often not so good. 
that life is real, and if you survive it well, survive it well with love and art and meaning given where meaning is scarce. That you will learn to live with regret, that you will learn to live with respect, that the structures that constrict you may not be permanently constricting, that you will probably be okay, that you must accept change before you die, but you will die anyway. So you might as well live, and you might as well love. You might as well love. You might as well love.